Chapter 37, Two Legs Are Better Than One, a chapter on meningococcal disease. So, they say I have to take antibiotics now, before I even feel sick, because I am her roommate and might have shared some water or food or something. They say that will prevent me from getting sick. And you are sure you feel okay right now? No fever? Did you check your whole body for that rash, whatever you called it, petechio rash? Yes, Mom, geez, I feel fine. I am an adult now, you know. Do you need your dad and me to come down there? We can be there in just a few hours, you know. No, Mom, I'm fine. I gotta get to class now. Love you. Bye. Giselle did feel fine. No fever, no flu symptoms, no headache. Her neck wasn't stiff. She didn't think she had a rash. The student health nurse asked her all those questions already, and more, like, had she kissed her roommate lately? Giselle had pretended that would be gross and said no, although she and Tanya had tried that at a party a few months ago, once, but they both decided it wasn't for them. Then the doctor had given her the bottle of antibiotics and told her to let them know if she felt sick. Why, so they can lock me up too? Miss that much class? I don't think so. But she really did feel fine. Plus, Giselle had read about meningococcal disease on the internet, so she already knew everything she needed to know, including two facts that made her wonder why the health nurse, and her mom apparently, seemed so worried. First, the disease doesn't pass easily from person to person. It's not like a cold or the flu. You don't catch it just from being in the same room with someone. You have to either share saliva or live with them. They call it lengthy contact, like being a roommate or a boyfriend. The internet said you have to come into contact with their oral secretions, like with mono. Even though they were roommates, they didn't share saliva. Not on purpose, anyway. Second, 10% of people already have the germs living in their nasal passage anyway. So why doesn't everyone get sick from it? She wondered. They called it being an asymptomatic carrier, and they, the internet, didn't know the answer. Something about host susceptibility or some such term. So, you could carry the germs for years, and suddenly they turn on you and make you sick out of nowhere? So, many people who get sick might not have even caught it from someone else. It can be their own germs. Apparently, this was one of the shots she was supposed to have gotten when she was a teenager. Well, she still was a teen, technically. But her mom had decided somewhere along the way to stop giving her her shots. She'd said there were just too many nowadays, and she didn't trust them all anymore. Whatever. I wonder if I should get the shot now. I'll have to ask the health nurse. She opened the bottle and took her dose of antibiotics just in case since I am the roommate. And Giselle stripped down in front of her full-length mirror to make sure she didn't have whatever rash her mom and the nurse had been talking about. I'm telling you, John, it's not a big deal. These things happen on many college campuses. It's not going to hurt enrollment. The director of admissions didn't sound convinced. 
You keep saying that, Dr. Rangel, but you know how the press is. They'll blow this way out of proportion, like they did with mumps two years ago. They'll scare everyone into thinking their grown-up kids are dying left and right. You know how they are. They can't just give accurate, level-headed information. They play out the worst-case scenario every chance they get. Well, you and I know the truth. I told you the numbers already. There are only about 50 cases of meningococcal disease nationwide every year among high school and college-age students. That's not very many, considering the large population of all such students. And there are about 10 fatalities each year in this age group. These are all tragic, but it's fortunately a very tiny number. The disease also infects about 100 infants and toddlers annually, with about 5 deaths. Interestingly, the disease seems less dangerous in the younger kids. This may be because most infant-toddler cases are caused by the B strain of the disease. But they don't have an infant vaccine that's approved for routine use yet. They do have a B-strain vaccine, but it doesn't work very well, and so it's only reserved for immunocompromised children. Anyway, looking at the 2015 disease numbers nationwide for all age groups, there were only about 360 total cases, 50 deaths. Most of these cases and deaths were in adults and the elderly, but we don't routinely vaccinate them because they haven't gotten around to studying that yet. For the teens and the adults, the ages that you and I work with, we don't see much type B like they do in babies. It's mostly one of the other four strains of the disease, A, C, Y, and W. Those are the four strains covered in the teen vaccine, the vaccine that you and the board are considering making mandatory for all incoming freshmen. But the total number of annual cases nationwide is so small that it's not really much of a risk to each individual if you think about it. 50 cases out of every high school and college-age child in the nation? 8 deaths in 2015? Plus, the disease is barely contagious, not like measles or even the flu. Only close, intimate contacts are at risk. In fact, the CDC even says only about 3% of cases are related to outbreaks, meaning when one college student gets sick, he or she may only infect one or two other students before it's contained, or possibly none at all. Most cases have nothing to do with outbreaks, so when it does hit a college campus, it really shouldn't even make the news. But it does, and parents start panicking. Not the kids, though. They still think they're invincible. But the parent calls we get? You are lucky we don't patch them all through to your health center. Hey, wait, that's a good idea. What do you think? The doctor knew his friend well enough to know when he was kidding, he thought. Personally, even I, a doctor, don't think there's a reason to make it mandatory. There isn't any actual evidence the vaccine prevents the spread of the disease. Yes, you've told me that before, doctor. 10% of people carry the germ. Most cases are people's own germs deciding to suddenly invade. Getting the vaccine may reduce the chance that a person's own germs might invade and make them sick individually. 
and the vaccine may give the non-carriers some immunity when they are exposed to someone who is sick. But we don't know if this vaccine prevents someone from becoming a germ carrier and passing it along to others. So it shouldn't be mandated for admission. And that's why we haven't made it so, unlike some of the other universities. But making it mandatory would have all the parents feel better when we do have a case. And that may be reason enough to mandate it, just for the PR advantage. Well, that's your department, not mine. The public health department is bringing over more Cipro to use as prophylaxis in case we get any more cases and close contacts. We do have plenty of vaccine in stock at the health center, and older teens only need one dose of the vaccine to be protected for several years. We don't give the usual two doses at this later age, just one. Interesting story on that. The director rolled his eyes, knowing the doctor couldn't see him over the phone. Stephen and his stories could go on for quite a while, although he admitted that they were always informative. Yes, I have time for a story. When the teen vaccine came out in 2005, they only gave one dose to 12-year-old kids. But then they found a problem. It wore off after about five years. So by the time they got to college... When they needed the protection the most, the immunity was gone. So they added a booster dose at age 16 to carry them through the college years. That's not very story-worthy compared to some of your past offerings. They've probably done that with all the vaccines over the years, added more doses to boost immunity. Yeah, that's not the story part. This is. The addition of the booster dose was hotly debated by the ACIP. That's the CDC board that approves the vaccine schedule. It's made up of doctors, researchers, and representatives from vaccine manufacturers. They are trying to decide whether to move the single dose to age 16 or keep the 12-year dose and add a booster. Well, you can guess what the farmer reps voted for but a surprising number of the doctors didn't want to add the second dose. They felt two doses weren't necessary when one, given at the right time, would work. They said there was a lack of data to make a scientific decision on that point. They wanted more data to know exactly how two doses would work and proof that it would work better than one at age 16. They also considered cost because... Like all brand new vaccines, it's very expensive. The vaccine costs about $120 per dose for doctors to buy from the two companies that make them. So you figure every year there are about 4 million 12-year-olds to vaccinate in our country. So Pharma already could make half a billion dollars each year on the one dose. Given the chance to double that, they actually had to bring in towels to mop all the drool off the farmer rep's end of the conference table when the meeting was over. John had a good laugh. Doc always managed to make his stories entertaining despite their dry content. But the doctors and the health policymakers were concerned about adding another half billion to annual medical expenditures. Insurance companies, which means ultimately the patients, have to fund these policy changes. In the end, the vote was close. Six in favor of adding the booster, five opposed, and three abstained. 
It was very surprising that the CDC would even allow a change in vaccine policy without a clear majority from the ACIP. If something makes sense scientifically, most scientists are going to agree with it. If they don't, then to me that means the science isn't clear yet and they should wait. But all the ACIP needs is one more yes than no. Some doctors, especially those who understand the vaccine better, do just give the one dose at age 16 or even 18 right before college. Plus, this vaccine has had some reported neurological side effects. They are rare, but they have been reported. As a doctor, I'm not for any type of forced medicine or coerced medicine. Medicine should be so safe and good that all people want it. When there's a risk, even a bit of a risk, we shouldn't shame or shun people for refusing that risk, especially when it doesn't endanger anyone else. California public universities made the move last year to make this vaccine and a few others mandatory. Someone out there is pulling their strings because they know they don't have legitimate medical reasons for mandating these. Same with the Tdap. Remember when a couple of our board members wanted to mandate Tdap vaccine for all incoming freshmen last year? And I fought them on it because that vaccine doesn't reduce the spread of any of its diseases. The two board members were pissed, and it turned out that they had stock in a company that makes the vaccine. Makes me wonder if that's what is driving many universities nationwide to mandate Tdap now. Well, Doc... Next time the board meets, I'll have you come by and give us the five-minute version of why you think the college doesn't need to mandate this vaccine next year either. Because even if there is only one case right now, they'll be looking at doing everything they can to ensure there are no cases next year. Giselle nodded to the nurse sitting at the visitor's station on her way to Tanya's room. The nurse was wearing a mask. Should I have a mask? she wondered. But then none of the other nurses had one on. No, wait, there was another over there. She pulled one out of the box hanging on the wall outside Tanya's room anyway and slipped it on before quietly opening the door. Hey, girlfriend! Tanya's always cheerful voice warmed Giselle's heart. She'd missed it over these past several days. Good news, I get to keep my foot! Giselle breathed a sigh of relief. Ever since she'd first heard that her roomie's rash on her left leg had been so severe at first that the doctors thought they might end up having to amputate her foot due to the loss of blood flow, Giselle had been sick with worry for her best friend, and she'd also stripped down naked to check every inch of her own body two, sometimes three times a day. I want to give you a big squishy hug, but I guess I probably shouldn't, Giselle said through the mask. I bet you are glad you and I haven't gotten too drunk at any parties lately too, huh? Giselle blushed, which made Tanya smile even wider. Ha! It's so funny how you can't just shrug that off like it was no big deal. Anyway, the doctor said that the antibiotics finally kicked in and that I'm out of the woods. They said most cases do well like me, about 80%. But about 10% die, and about 10% of survivors suffer some sort of permanent damage like deafness, nerve damage, or 
having to hop around the rest of your life. I can't even imagine the rest of college, the rest of life even, without a foot. Did you know there's a vaccine for this? My mom told me so. Oh, you just missed her, by the way. She's grabbing lunch in the calf. Anyway, we didn't have medical insurance for the last few years, so I never got that vaccine. They said that the key for me was recognizing the rash and acting quickly. My mom had warned me about this since she knew I wasn't vaccinated, so that's what saved me, the doctors say. I made sure my mom knew that, so she doesn't feel guilty about me not getting the vaccine. You should ask your mom if you had it. I already asked her. She said I'm all good. Not totally a lie. She discussed the shot with her mom yesterday during one of the five daily calls her mom made to her since this started. Her mom had reminded her why they'd skipped the shot. One of their neighbors had suffered a very severe reaction. She'd become temporarily paralyzed two weeks after the shot. Something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, a known but rare reaction to the vaccine and a few others like the flu shot. Giselle's mom had even texted her the warning in the vaccine prescribing information that states there is, quote, a potential for an increased risk of GBS following meningococcal vaccination. She's afraid I'll panic and go get the shot. Plus, they gave me antibiotics to take, which will prevent me from getting sick even if I did pick up the germs from you. So, when do you think you'll be out of here? The ringtone interrupted a very good dream, so Francine was already annoyed when she discovered that some bonehead at the center had decided meningococcal disease was worth waking her up for. Then her annoyance rose when she realized the caller was a newbie, someone who had just transferred in and didn't really know the protocols yet. Although, his voice sounded very deep over the phone. And deep voices usually meant... She glanced at the still-sleeping form in bed next to her. It was time to move on again, and maybe she could mentor this new guy in the ways of the world. If his face matched his voice, that is. Anyway, back to business. Listen here, Mr... What's your name? Um, Johnson, sir. I, I mean, ma'am. Chris Johnson. I... I, I'm new here, but I thought you'd want to know about a case of meningitis at a college on the East Coast. Mr. Johnson, I'm only going to say this once. Meningococcal disease is never, ever, ever a reason to wake me up in the middle of the night. Got it? Maybe if someone dies, but we usually only get one or two cases in any one place at any one time, and that doesn't make people panic so it doesn't do me any good. Got it? Francine realized she'd better compose herself before she said anything more to this newbie. Listen, Mr. Johnson, since most deaths are in adults and the elderly, it's not a scare for parents. Remember, our target is all the little mommies and daddies with little babies. But this is a teenage vaccine for a disease that doesn't cause epidemics in this country so it's only good for the slow news at the bottom of the hour. Got it? Oh, and come see me in my office before you leave in the morning. She hung up the phone, 
then nudged her partner awake. She'd need some help getting back to sleep. Jim Remington watched Chris hang up the phone, look around, and realize that everyone in the center was smiling at him. Told you so, Jim said from the desk next to him. Yeah, but, Chris looked chagrined, she's going to take my head off for this, isn't she? I've heard the stories. That and a whole lot more, Jim didn't say out loud. Nah, she's all bark and no bite. Or is it all bite and no bark? I forget, but you'll find out in about five hours. The night shift gang always loved to let the newbies find out the hard way what their boss liked and didn't like, Jim reflected. New hires were always so eager to make a good first impression on Francine, Miss Donahue to them, and they always thought that if they could be the first to notify her of a serious disease somewhere, they'd get bonus points. It was the lucky few who were able to figure out what really made her tick, which was why Jim had been promoted to night shift supervisor. But recently Jim had begun to realize that there was a darker side to his lover. Francine didn't just enjoy keeping vaccination rates high. There was more to it, something else about these disease outbreaks that really got her off, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it. Whatever it was, he was almost glad that his promotion had necessitated a schedule change to the night shift, and that had resulted in a change in his job perks, and he'd been mostly okay with that. I wonder who's helping her get back to sleep now, he only slightly lamented, remembering when it used to be him.